Welcome to Voices of Church Past. I'm your host, Rob Martin. Back to Ambrose today. Let's get right to it. Lastly, Paul teaches us that we must not abandon those who have committed a sin unto death, but that we must rather coerce them with the bread of tears and tears to drink, yet so that their sorrow itself may be moderated. For this is the meaning of the passage you have given to them to drink in large measure, that their sorrow itself should have its measure. Lest perchance he who is doing penance should be consumed by overmuch sorrow. As was said to the Corinthians, What will you? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of meekness? But even the rod is not severe, since he had read, You shall beat him indeed with the rod, but shall deliver his soul from death. What the apostle means by the rod is shown by his invective against fornication, his denunciation of incest, his reprehension of pride, because they were puffed up who ought rather to be mourning. Lastly, his sentence on the guilty person, that he should be excluded from communion, delivered to the adversary, not for the destruction of his soul, but for the flesh. For as the Lord did not give power to Satan over the soul of holy Job, but allowed him to afflict his body, so here, too, the sinners delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the serpent might lick the dust off his flesh, not hurt his soul. Let then our flesh die to lust. Let it be captive. Let it be subdued and not war against the law of our mind, but die in subjection to a good service. And Paul buffeted his body that he might bring it into subjection in order that his preaching might become more proved. The law of his flesh agreed and was consonant with the law of his flesh. The flesh dies when its wisdom passes over into the spirit, so that it no longer has a taste for the things of the flesh, but for the things of the spirit. Would that I might see my flesh growing weak, would I that I were not dragged captive into the law of sin. Would that I, uh, I live not in the flesh, but in the faith of Christ. And so there is greater grace in the infirmity of the body than its soundness. Having explained Paul's meaning, let us now consider the words themselves. In one sense, he said that he had delivered him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. For the devil, it is who tries us. For he brings ailments on each of our limbs, the sickness of our whole bodies, and then to he smote holy Job with evil swords from feet to head because he had received the power of destroying his flesh. But God said, Behold, I give him up to you only to preserve his life. This the apostle took up in the same words, giving up this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great is the power, great is the gift, which commands the devil to destroy himself. For he destroys himself when he makes the man whom he is seeking to overthrow by temptation stronger instead of weaker. Because while he is weakening the body, strengthening the soul for the sickness of the body restrains sin. But luxury sets on fire the sin of the flesh. The devil is then deceived so as to wound himself with his own bite. The arm against himself whom he thought to weaken. So he armed holy Job, the more after he wounded him, who with his whole body covered with sores, endured indeed the bite of the devil, but felt not his poison. And so it is well said of him, shall draw the dragon with a hook, and you will play with him, 
as with a bird. You shall bind him as a boy does a sparrow. You shall lay your hand upon him. See how he is mocked by Paul so that like a child in prophecy he lays his hand on the hole of the asp. The serpent injures him not. He draws him out of the hiding places and makes his venom a spiritual antidote so that what is venom now becomes medicine. The venom serves to the destruction of the flesh. It becomes medicine to the healing of the spirit. That which hurts the body benefits the spirit. Let then the serpent bite the earthly part of me. Let him drive his tooth into my flesh and bruise my body. May the Lord save me. I give him up into you. Only preserve his life. How great is the power of Christ that the guardianship of man is made a charge even to the devil himself who always desires to injure him. Let us then make the Lord Jesus favorable to ourselves. At the command of Christ, the devil himself becomes the guardian of his prey. Even unwillingly, he carries out the commands of heaven. And though cruel, obeys the commands of gentleness. Why do I command his obedience? Let him be ever evil, that God may be ever good. Who converts his ill will into grace for us? He wishes to injure us, but cannot if Christ resists him. He wounds the flesh, but preserves the life. Then it is written, Then shall the wolves and the lambs feed together, the lion and the ox shall eat straw, and they shall not hurt or destroy my holy mountain, says the Lord. For this is the sentence of condemnation on the servant. Thus shall be your food. What thus? Surely that which is said, Thus you are, and dust you shall return. The serpent eats this dust. The Lord Jesus is favorable to us, that our spirit may not sympathize with the weakness of the flesh nor be set on fire by the vapors of the flesh and the heat of our members. It is better to marry than to burn, for there is a flame which burns within. Let us not then suffer this fire to approach the bosom of our minds, the depths of our hearts, lest we burn up the covering of our innermost parts, lest the devouring fire of lust consume this outward garment of the soul and this fleshly veil. But let us pass through the fire, should anyone fall into the fire of love, let him leap over it and pass forth. Let him not bind himself to the idolatrous lust with the bands of thoughts. Let him not tie knots around himself by the fastings of continual reflection. Let him not too often turn his attention to the form of a harlot. And let not a maiden lift her eyes to the countenance of a youth. By chance she has looked and is caught. How much more will she be entangled as she gazes with curiosity? But custom itself teaches us a woman covers her face with a veil for this reason, that in public her modesty may be safe. Her face may not easily meet the gaze of a youth. Let her be covered with the nuptial veil so that not even a chance meetings she might be exposed to the wounding of another or herself. For the wound of either were indeed hers. If she cover her head with a veil that she may not be actually seen or be seen, when her head is veiled, the face is hidden. How much more ought she got to cover herself with the veil of modesty, so even in public have her own secret place? But granted that the eye has fallen upon another, she's not let, at least let not the inward affection follow. For to have seen is no sin, but one must be careful that it may not be the source of sin. The body of the eye see, 
Let the eye of the heart be closed. Let modesty of mind remain. We have a Lord who is both strict and indulgent. Prophet indeed said, Look not upon the beauty of a woman that is all harlot. The Lord said, Whoever shall look on a woman to lust after her, he committed adultery with her already in his heart. He does not say, Whosoever shall look has committed adultery. Whoever shall look on her to lust after her, condemned not the look, but sought the inward affection. That modesty is praiseworthy, who has a, so accustomed itself to close the bodily eyes as often not to see what we really behold. For we seem to behold the bodily sight, whatever meets us, but if there be not jointed to this any attention in the mind, the sight also, according to what is usual in the body, fades away, so that in reality we see rather with the mind than with the body. But the flesh has seen the flame. Let us not cherish that flame in our bosoms, that is, the depths of our heart and the inward part of our mind. Let us not instill this fire into our bones. Let us not bind bonds upon ourselves. Let us not join in conversation with such as may be the cause to us of unholy fires. The speech of a maiden is a snare to youth. The words of a youth are bonds of love. Joseph saw the fire when the woman, eager for adultery, spoke to him. She wished to catch him with her words. He set, she set the snares of her lips and was not able to capture the chaste man. For the voice of modesty, the voice of gravity, the reign of caution, the care for integrity, the discipline of chastity, loosed the woman's chains, so that the unchaste person could not entangle her in, in her meshes. She laid her hand upon him. She caught his garment that she might tighten the noose around him. Words of a Vacious woman are the snares of lust, and in her hands the bonds of love. But the chaste by could not be taken away, either by snares or by bonds. The garment was cast off, the bonds were loosed. Because he did not emit the fire into the bosom of his mind, his body was not burnt. You see, then, that her mind is the cause of her guilt, and so the flesh is innocent, but is often the minister of sin. Let not, then, the desire of beauty overcome you. Many nets... Many snares are spread by the devil. The look of the harlot is the snare of him who loves her. Our own eyes net are nets to us. Wherefore it is written, Be not taken with your eyes. Proverbs 6, 30, 25. So then we spread nets for ourselves, in which we are entangled in a hammer. We buy chains on ourselves, as we read, for everyone is bound with the chains of his own sins. Let us then pass through the fires of our youth in the glow of early years, let us pass through waters. Let us not remain therein, lest the deep floods shut us in. Let us pa rather pass over that we, too many say, our soul has passed over the stream. For he who has passed over is safe. And lastly, the Lord speaks thus. If you pass through water, I am with you. The rivers shall not overflow you. Isaiah 43, 2. The prophet says, I have seen the wicked exalted above the cedars of Lebanus. I passed by, and lo, he was not. Passed by the things of this world, and you will see that the high places of wicked have fallen. Moses, too, p passing by things of this world, saw a great sight and said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. For he had been held by the fleeing pleasures of this world. He would not have seen so great a mystery. Let us also pass over this fire of lust, fearing which Paul Fearing for us, insomuch as by buffeting his body he had become no longer to fear for himself. It says, flee fornication. 
Let us then flee it as though it is following us, though indeed it follows not behind us, within our very selves. Let us then diligently take heed, lest we, while fleeing from it, we carry it with ourselves. For we wish, for the most part, to flee, but if we do not wholly cast it out of our mind, we rather take it up than forsake it. Let us then spring over it, lest it be said to us, Walk in the flame of fire which you have kindled for yourselves. Isaiah 50.11 For as he who takes fire into his bosom burns his clothes, so he who walks upon the fire coals must of necessity burn his feet, as is written. Can one walk upon the coals of fire and not burn his feet? Proverbs 6.28 This fire is dangerous. Let us not then feed it with the fuel of luxury. Lust is fed by feastings, nourished by delicacies, kindled by wine and inflamed by drunkenness. Still more dangerous than these are the incentives of words, which intoxicate the mind, as it were, with a kind of wine of the vine of Sodom. Let us be on our guard against the abundance of this wine, for when the flesh is intoxicated, the mind falters, the heart wavers, and the heart is carried to and fro. And so with regard to each, that precept is useful. Wherein Timothy is warned, drink a little wine because of your frequent infirmities. When the body is heated, it excites the glow of the mind. When the flesh is chilled with the cold of disease, the spirit is chilled. When the body is in pain, the mind is sad, but the sadness shall become joy. Do not fear that if your flesh be eaten away, the soul is not consumed. And so David says that he does not fear, because the enemy were eating up his flesh, not his soul. When the evildoers come near upon me to eat up my flesh, my foes do trouble me. They were weakened and fell, so the serpent works overthrow for himself alone. Therefore is he who has been injured by the serpent given over to the serpent. He may raise up again him who he cast out. The overthrow of the serpent may be rising again of the man. Scripture testifies that Satan is the author of this bodily suffering and weakness of the flesh. Paul says, There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, that I shall not be exalted. So Paul learned to heal, even as he himself been made whole. Well, we're going to leave off there. That was a long two chapters there. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnard. May the Lord persevere you steadfast in one true faith, given unto the saints. Until we see each other again, brothers and sisters of Christ, God bless.